Hello, and welcome back to Pathways. It's been a minute since I've been on, since I filmed a bunch in a row and just have been dropping podcasts every week. So I'm back, um, and we are here in the kitchen. I'm under a remodel. We, we are remodeling the house and finally got the living room done and time to start the kitchen. But today, um, I'm extra excited for this guest. This is a part two. We had her on earlier, Cecily Stovall. Um, she was on her way to the airport in Melbourne to get to Sydney um, to do a gig. Um, she has many hats, many hats. So <laughs> I'm going to let her go through her career. But I've known Cecily um, since 2005. Um, we started teaching um, together at a studio back then, and we just kind of hit it off and we just hung out and no matter where she moved or came back or whatever she did or was on tour, we just stayed in touch. We just had a special bond and I always will just have a special bond. She's always my officially my sugar bond. She's my sugar lips. And um, that's my nickname for her. And I just adore her. She just recently moved back from Australia and you're in Seattle now, right? Uh-huh. Send me some coffee. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she's here and I'm excited to have her on to tell her story now. And here we are. This is Cecily. And welcome, Cess. Welcome back for the full link. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here officially sitting in a chair, not a car. Yeah, in the car on the way to the airport. But that was pretty like, you know, instantaneous. I kind of liked it. Um, so I'm just going to start. Um, how did you get started? I don't even know if I know after all these years. I've watched your career and I've been to your shows, but I don't even think I know how you got started. So yeah. can you just kind of take us through that? Like where where was your journey at? Um, the short story, I guess, is that um, in fourth grade, I had a teacher who told my mom that I talked too much in class and I needed an outlet for my okay, energy. That's why we get along. Right. <laughs> um, and so my mom enrolled me at Young Actors Theater in Indianapolis, uh, downtown Indy, with Charlotte Kaufman as the uh, amazing woman who ran that program. Uh, and, you know, that really literally changed my life. Like, I 100% credit Mrs. Kaufman with who I am today. Um, did lots of plays, you know, all through kind of grade school. When I got to high school, I sort of switched to doing stuff at the at school instead of at Young Actors. Um, but then around my senior year, I started working at American Cabaret Theater. That was the first like professional theater, summer loving, summer of night or winter 1999 into 2000 it was actually the first professional theater I did and I'd done lots of community theater stuff at Footlight kind of um up until then and then was sort of straddling that went to Florida State for college for theater um and where, you went to actually. North Central correct Cathedral you went to Cathedral yeah oh I thought you and Brian knew each other from North Central no we went to Cathedral together oh okay all right mm -hmm. okay Mutual friend. Yeah. Okay, good. Okay, all right. <laughs> um, and um, yeah. So I went to school at Florida State, auditioned for the musical theater department, never got in, and decided, screw you guys, I'm gonna do my own thing. So went and did you know lots of regional theater, summer stock, cruise ships, all that kind of stuff. And um, you worked for Disney as well, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So and what did, did you do? You did Disney Cruise Lines, correct? Mm -hmm. And what yeah. did you do on Disney Cruise Lines? Uh, I was Nala um, in the Golden Mickey's. I was um, Calliope, the main muse. This is what I have Disney. today, <laughs> in honor of you. <laughs> very nice, very nice. And uh, um, yeah, so there were like four shows that we did and a dance party. But yeah, I did the cruise ship for about 10 months. And then eventually kind of went back to the regional theater world, lived in Utah for a while, LA, then moved back to New York where I um, booked, actually I auditioned for Book of Mormon while I was living in Utah. I booked Book of Mormon when I was living in New York. Thank you so much for your Book of Mormon mug. Yeah, of it. course. I don't, yeah, well, you know, I did see you in it. Yep, yeah. Did that show for three and a half years in the States. And then- You did that with Ben Pratt, as right? Mm -hmm. That's what yeah. I meant, yeah. Yeah. Oh, Ben. 
such a sweet pea. Um, I can't really call him a sweet pea. He was 19 when we started the show. But that's, I know he was young. Well, I remember meeting him backstage and he was so shy. He was yeah. so green. And now he's like a, a grown ass man. I think I can. And I think like I can. Tony Award winner and like everything. It's so weird. I remember just meeting him in the back alley back there at the stage door. And he was like, hi. And just very like, and I was like, oh, and now, you know, how amazing, right? Yeah, he's very. So you did very, it for three years in the states, three and a half years in the states, and then was you know kind of taking a break and getting ready to move back to New York. And then they were like, "Hey, we're opening the company in Australia. You want to go?" And I was like, oh, "Yes." Home as well, yeah. So planned to go to Australia for fourteen months to do the show there, but met my husband about three months in and have been in Australia for seven years, actually to the day, and then um, have just now moved to Seattle. Oh, and while I was in in Australia, I um, started my second company, which is called State of Change, that works to create access for artists of color. Uh, that just like really just dove me into the the DEI, the inclusion and equity pieces of the arts. And so now I'm the director of belonging and inclusion at Seattle Children's Theater. Oh wow! Okay, yeah, and I think that's amazing. And can you go? Because I'm I'm familiar with. Uh... Can you take us over because I haven't had any Aussies on and I have Aussie friends, but they're kind of scattered. So it's hard getting a hold of them right now um, on the circuit. You know, I have Drew um, who used to do hair and makeup and all these other things. Um, can you tell us how your experience of working in Australia doing a different thing? Because I've had people from UK, West End, um, New York, Broadway tours here. How does that system, because I kind of knew because I never worked over there because it's harder for an American to get a visa even back then, even though because there's not that many shows and they kind of hire their own. So there wasn't much chance of me when I was living over there working because there's, they need to hire their own first. And so can you tell me what it was like working over there opposed to what it is working here in the States. And can you give me one second? My bad. There is a dog chewing a bone very loudly and I just could not do it anymore. I can't hear it. <laughs> I was like, and this, I just hear it in the background. I'm like, mm, no. <laughs> All right. And can, so back to the question, um, the difference between the Australian theater and then how you got worked into the inclusion. Cause I actually met someone that was doing hairspray that knew you that was from ball state. Um, and that came over to do it. So how did that all work and how did that get started? So that's kind of a two-parter. Yeah. Um, I think, well, um, in terms of just like basically what is different about working in Australia versus the US, the system there is very similar to the UK. So um, much longer call times and mandated warmups, I think are the two things that most Americans come and are like, what is this? Um, yeah, because on Broadway, I mean, you've done it so long, just get there a half hour before call done. Yeah, um, but it is, it is just a different energy you know it kind of gives you that camaraderie as a company to come together and check in and see everyone's faces how long is your call time um it's usually an hour although one show i did had an hour and a half call time which i have no idea why but usually it's an hour i like that i liked it i used to have long call times at opryland we had an hour and a half but we made it like a class like we did like a dance class and a vocal warm up and a warm up together. So it was actually kind of good. It kind of gave the cast bonding time. So I was okay with yeah. that. Yeah, it's not bad. Um, I think, you know, in general, to your earlier point about like Australians casting Australians, that's really a big reason of how my company started. So there were about, um, I think there were 11 of us that were brought over from the U.S. to do the show. The two leads, Elder Price and Cunningham, were two um, guys who had done the show. One of them had done every existing company at that point. So both tours, Broadway and London. One of them had, had done the two tours and 
Broadway, maybe. Anyway, two guys that had done the show and were very familiar with it. And a, a large group of the folks who were playing the African uh, characters, the Ugandan characters. And, um, you know, it was really interesting to see how frustrated the industry was that they had brought over these two white guys. But when it came to artists of color, they were like, oh, well, you know, we kind of have to bring them over. That's to be expected. So I was really kind of interested in how to uplift and amplify and support the artists who are already in Australia working and, you know, booking and getting hired um, in a way that felt authentic, you know, and and right for Australian sectors. And can I ask, um, so of color of of color over there, since I've lived over there, was there much on was there much on people from the Aboriginal community that were in musical theater that couldn't get in? Or was it more European, UK kind of crossing over? Um how did that work? Because I don't know, I, I, I don't, you know, when I was over there, it was more, you know, it wasn't that big of a scene and there weren't that many shows going on. So when you do that and you're bringing that in, are you bringing in local culture, like artists from the Aboriginal culture or is it more from the UK? Um, Sorry, do you mean when... Do you mean when like theater companies would hire people of color to do correct, shows? Correct, 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 correct. Um, for the most part, they hire either folks from the UK or the US. Um, there was some interesting commentary when I was first doing some development research for the company around, um, you know, if if folks who are indigenous come and play roles, they're often playing identities and characters that are outside of their their individual culture because you know aboriginal is not the same as african diasporic they are their well, you know aboriginal and torres strait islander folks are the longest continuous living culture in the world that correct you know, that yeah. really exists. so um, i don't think very many people know that of that that and the you know the maori culture in new zealand so i don't think people actually really know that all the time so yeah. that's why I was interested to know because I really got interested when I was living over there. So yeah, I mean, I think the thing that's challenging, one of the biggest challenges is that um, you know, the, the the wider musical theater canon, which you know was really where I kind of started and branched out a bit into other arts forms, but the wider canon is very white until you get to a certain point in like the you know, 60s or 70s, and then it becomes very black and white for a while. And then we get to like the late 70s, mid 80s, and it gets a little bit Asian and a little bit Latinx. But then, you know, that's kind of it. You know, if we were looking at a, a pie chart, it would be mm -hmm. things that were primarily written with white voices, white actors, white talent in mind. And then the things that are racially written with, you know, con conscientious racial inclusion is a very small bit of that pie. But certainly, you know, the highest representation of people of color in Australia is not exclusively Black or African diasporic. It's, mm -hmm. There's a large population of South Asian, East Asian folks, there are Indigenous folks, there are, right. you know, people, Islanders. And so what we, what I found kind of challenging is that there was this, you know, I think it came to, came to a big head for me when I was doing Book of Mormon and they had, you know, what we call imported all of these actors, these black actors to play these roles. And yet the Australians who were there playing, covering the roles, like some of them were not African diasporic, not, not you know, what we would understand as black, um, but they had been playing black characters their whole lives because it was the closest to representation that they could see themselves in. Then you have um, Beautiful, which was playing down the street, which, Love you know, has, it's a gorgeous musical, but, you Love know, it. you've got the Drifters and the Shirelles and all of these people who are very real people. I want to go see it again played... pretty soon, so. What'd you say? Ethan Boards is doing it, so I'm getting ready. Oh, yeah. To it again. Yeah, it's, I love that musical. It's just gorgeous. It's a good one. It's a good but one. But you've got all these people who do not identify as Black in any way, shape, or form playing these Black, very real Black characters 
but they, you know, very intentionally said, we don't want to import anyone and we want this to be all, all Australian talent. So it felt like there needed to be something in the middle of like casting people as locals and using their talent, but also casting people authentically in the roles when they are, there's racial or other identity marker specificity to the character. So anyway, that's kind of like why I, I, I found this stuff so interesting. And I, I, I totally agree. I mean, living, living over there and being over there so often, um, it wouldn't have been all inclusive at that time. And I think the transition in the States of what you're talking about would have been as much easier and in a UK population, much easier than it is in an Australian population, just because of the of the of the demographic of people of color in Australia than UK and America. Am I correct? Yeah. yeah. So it would hard it'd be harder to integrate everyone into Australia because I don't think people understand that it's not a huge you know, the, the the demographic is totally different. Yeah, I think the demographic is different and also just like the way that arts access, you know, has engaged community in the past. Like right. it's been a very elitist art form that you, you don't know, have to have lots of money and sit properly in your seat and quietly behave and that's how you engage it. And, you know, what we know from, there's lots of data in Australia um, that tells us that, People of racialized backgrounds, people of culture, people of color actually engage in arts and culture practices at a much higher rate than their, you know, white counterparts, yet they're only doing it in spaces where they feel safe or they're creating their own work with themselves, with each other for themselves. So that's really kind of the code. It's like, it's not that it's not that folks aren't participating in the arts, they just don't feel represented in the arts capital A arts as we know it. Got it. Got it. Um, well, that makes sense. I mean, and that's like, and I love that you, that's one part one that you've taught us about that a lot of people don't know. I'm more into it because I lived over there and I've worked with Australian actors. And as you know, when you're on ships, you know, a lot of your cast is Australian or English or South African or Canadian. A lot of them back then weren't American. So I kind of got to know that culture even more and what that theater community was. And, um, you know, of course, my partner at the time was really big into the Australian scene and had done a lot. So I, I got to know what the scene was. Um, so can we transition into when that kind of got out? And now I think you're a published author, author right? Like you're in a book about... And when you were on the call with me, you were on the way to a set to be an intimacy coordinator, correct? Yep. Yeah. So how we've, we went here, we've done, you know, we've, we, we did the, we are the world you've got everyone together. You've blended everyone. Cause you know, that's what you do. You just make us all love <laughs> and jolly with each other. Cause you are a bunch of love. And now you're like teaching a whole new thing. And I think you've already brought one thing to the table of we haven't heard. So what's this new thing that a lot of people don't even know about and they hear it and they just, they're like, what? And so now explain the book, explain what you did and how's that still work? And do you go back over there to do some of that? Sure. So, um, uh, in like 2019, I guess, 2020, somewhere around there, um, I started my official like training to be an intimacy coordinator. Um, that's a person, as we said in the last episode, uh, that does um, any kind of simulated intimacy, um, any nudity, any touch. I kind of always say like touch beyond what you might do in to a stranger in a grocery store. Uh, we can help support that kind of stuff. So um uh, as usually referred I to as like an intimacy store, don't you? I, that's I mean, that's you though. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I just, I kiss you. You're cute. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, 
but we have uh, intimacy coordinators who usually work on film and TV sets and then intimacy directors who usually work in theater or live performance, opera, dance, ballet, you know, uh -huh. all of them can use intimacy professionals. And yeah, it's a pretty uh, fun job. It can be definitely a lot of paperwork and a lot of phone calls and conversations, but basically you're there to make sure that artists feel supported, feel safe, feel like they've got the tools they need to articulate their own boundaries and that the work that they're making isn't going to cause them, you know, any kind of psychological challenges or harm, either while they're doing it, while they're repeating it, or in the future, you know, when they see it, particularly in the film and TV world. And how did you get into this? Was there a specific course? Did you fall into it? Do you have to study? Do you have to do like a lot of, I mean, there's going to be paperwork, as you said, because of lawsuits and this and et cetera. So where does that all kind of weave into? Yeah. So um, for me, I uh, trained, my initial classes were with a company called IDC, Intimacy Directors and Coordinators. They're based out of New York. Um, you are, I received a scholarship from the union in Australia, uh, along with 12 other folks um, from Australia and New Zealand, which was really great and cool. So we did that class, got our certification. I also trained quite a bit with a company called Theatrical Intimacy Educators, so TIE. Uh, and there are a couple other ones that are pretty great. Um, that you know, uh, Intimacy coordinators of color, for sure, that I've picked up some training from along the way. And... Um, um, yeah, I think that the thing about intimacy coordinating is it's not necessarily that it is so far from my DEI work. You know, it's very actually similarly aligned. Um, and the, the two kind of mesh together. So quite often I'm engaged as both the intimacy consultant and the sensitivity consultant or the cultural consultant and the intimacy director. Awesome. Um, I work on a TV so show awesome. right now. I just Thanks. think that's awesome. I just love that transition. And that's why we call it pathways. And I think yours is just an amazing pathways um, because of what you did from like theater and touring and then went to a country and, you know, established a community and helped people of color come into the business when, and I and then to do this, I just think that's a tremendous pathway that you have given to people. And I think that's just a beautiful thing. Oh, thanks. You, well, you, I mean, the hope is that, you know, I'm leaving enough, a wide enough path that folks can, you know, come along on the journey to try to make some of the like- I will always be on the journey with you. I mean, we were going to open a nightclub together at one point. So, I mean, I'll always be on the journey with you. And little do people know- when Cecily said, I'm going to go do Book of Mormon in Australia, I'm like, you're going to get married and live there. And I said, you're going to, yeah, you're going to I go, you're going to meet your husband and you're never leaving. And she was like, you're silly. And she met her husband and kind of stayed there. So I kind of like weave that in. You're welcome. You're welcome. You're a little psychic. You're a little psychic. <laughs> get my little witchcraft in there and give that a little boost. I just set a little spell and put you on the path there. So true. <laughs> so true. So true. So now you've done all that. Do you still fly back and forth? Are you permitted to do that in the States or do you still have to stay um, just within the new, did you do stuff in New Zealand? Do you just do stuff in Australia or do you bounce back and forth on, cause that's, and the, here's another thing. I don't think, you know, people have to think about UK programs and know a little bit about other stuff, but of course, there's a lot of things filmed at um, the studios in Australia and TV shows. And like any other country, they have their own TV shows. And I don't think people always get that point. And, you know, New Zealand has their own things as well. So do you bounce back and forth or now can you work in the States as well? Um, I can, I mean, I definitely can work in the States, but I'm uh, a little bit busy right now. I'm still running my company in Australia um, and through them, I've gone back once now to do some intimacy consulting and um, uh, sensitivity, cultural sensitivity support for production of Rent that just opened in Melbourne this week. Congratulations. Oh, so to it, my it's like on the main stage. Rent. All right. Great. Fantastic. <laughs> Um, and I still do some cultural consulting for a TV show in Australia. 
uh, that I was their intimacy coordinator. And then you can't really intimacy coordinate from afar, but I can still do some of the cultural work. Um, but other than that, you know, kind of like, I wouldn't say taking that hat off, but just like setting that hat on the shelf for a little while while I get settled back in the U.S. Yeah. I think that, but I, oh, the book, that's what you're asking about. But and the, the book, um, and the book, let's go back to the yeah. book. Okay. Well, that's important. So yeah. I, I um, contributed to a, a field book, the guidebook on intimacy consulting, which was edited by the amazing Brooke E. Haney, who is just one of my favorite humans. They are uh, both an intimacy director and coordinator, uh, work a lot in identity, gender issues, um, uh, a lot of boundary support. Um, just a really great human that I met when I was there doing a fellowship in there in New York, doing a fellowship. And when they were like, would you like to write in my book? And I was like, I'll probably do anything that you asked me to do. Cause I think totally you're awesome. Yes, right. Um, so I wrote a bit about the international considerations of intimacy coordination because, you know, I think there's like expectations and culture and energy that shifts from one country to another. And just Definitely. speaking with folks who work in Brazil versus India versus, you know, Australia and New Zealand and the UK and the US, there are some like expectations both on set as well as in the audience about what intimacy can and can't look like. Ah, and then from there, now you picked up and what decided the move? I mean, we went from there and now you're back here in the States doing, um, what are you doing back here in, in Seattle? What is your official title here? So, I mean, you always wear hats. So what made the move and what made the transition? Yeah, so I'm the director of belonging and inclusion here at Seattle Children's Theater. And we moved here for this job. Okay. So kind of what you wanted to come back to the States. And this kind of role was what I wanted to come back and do. Oh, awesome. I mean, I was just, it, it's just, I didn't know if that was a thing or if it was like, <laughs> if you like, and are you directing? Are you producing any shows there in Seattle at that theater? Me personally? Yeah. No, no. Um, the role is really kind of looking at internally how we shape culture. So kind of the operational side of things. And then also how are we creating access and inclusion with our work externally for audiences and community and, you know, donors and our board and all that kind of stuff. Okay. Um, and so I'm kind of kind of go on with like the other things, you know, that I usually generally ask. Um, when you've done all this and it seems like, you know, you kind of just kind of ebb and flowed and I know you're ebb and flow and you're like, you just kind of went with it and you kind of had a steady run, but in the beginnings and the humble beginnings, when you're back and forth before you went on your run, was there any point that you wanted to stop or give up or was it just hard or did you have a backup plan or did you just keep plowing through? What was your journey through that? Cause I think every actor or performer goes through it or they don't and how do they handle it? Yeah. When I, so I was living in Utah. Uh, the show that I had done was closed. I had broken up with my boyfriend and I had stayed in Utah forever. And, um, I, I got a job offer to do some experiential marketing in New York, which was always sort of my like other job, my backup job. And, you know, so I moved everything to New York for this experiential marketing job and thought how ironic that I've moved back to New York. Cause at that point I'd kind of lived back and forth for, you know, a couple of times. How ironic that I've moved here not to be in theater. Well, you know what? I am not going to audition for anything. I am going to give my all to this marketing job. That's okay. And about, Three months after I got there, I got a phone call that was like, hey, it's Book of Mormon calling. You auditioned for us about a year ago. We were wondering if you would come back in for um, a, a callback. So like my first audition for Book of Mormon was in October of 2010. My first callback for Book of Mormon was in December of 2011. We had no contact in between there. A so whole like, year. You know, oh, over a year. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 
And I like it. Yeah. And I don't see people know that. I think that people are like, oh, if they didn't call me in, I think people that are on the outside of the business, I don't think people know that it's going to take, people just think, oh, they didn't call me in six weeks or three months or something like that. Then they don't understand that you're back in the filing cabinet and no one's left their contract yet. And when someone's ready to leave the contract, they're like, oh, I remember this girl. And they file back through there and they want to see you. I don't think people generally know that. Think that you, they think yeah. we go audition. If we don't hear in two or three weeks, then they don't want us. But they can always put yeah. us at the back of the filing cabinet and go, oh, I liked her. Boom, 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 boom. And let's go pull her out. We have a person leaving the contract. Yeah, it's it's always, it's so different, you know, like, um, particularly in the U.S. because you can, you know, when you're working at that like production contract level, like you can leave a show within four weeks. So if I say today I'm leaving, you know, I'm in the show and today I tell my team I'm leaving and I'll be gone in four weeks, they basically have two weeks to probably fill my job because they need at least a couple of weeks for the person to learn the show and be ready to go in you know, on Tuesday after my last Sunday. So there are definitely people who are like, I went to an open call and I was on stage in three weeks, you know, costumes made ready to go. And sometimes it's like, well, we've got to find the right person who fits your costumes because we don't have time to make new ones. And sometimes it's, you know, it was October, October 2010 was my first audition. December 2011 was my first callback. I found out that I booked the show in April 2012, and I had my first rehearsal in November of 2012. So it's two years from first audition to first rehearsal. So like some wow. people have two days. You wow. Know? So um, yeah. I, I like just you know, it's like we don't hear that one very often. So yeah. yeah. So you were and, in there, and that was. Was that the time that was 2012. you wanted to give up? We were just, or did it just happen? Oh, I had. Like, I, I explicitly said, I am probably, I my, you know, I was going to put my membership on hold. Like, I was going to step away from the business and do something different. And lo and behold, that moment, something that I had did, done a year ago was going to massively and radically change the trajectory of my life for the next seven years. And I had no idea. Really? It really did. Yeah. yeah. I mean, because- this was a part of your life for a long time. Yeah. I mean, six, six and a half years. So um, I started in November of 2012 and I did my last performance in February of 2018. And I've had friends that, you know, you know, Arbender, right? I mean, you know, Arbender did like a podcast. I mean, Arbender has been doing Book of Mormon for, I think like since God was a child. I mean, he's <laughs> been in it forever. And I mean, why wouldn't you, when you have a show like that, not want to stay in it? It's a, an amazing show and it's fun, right? Yeah. I mean, I think everybody's got their reasons, you know, like some people stay in a show because they've been, you know, their resume is not craving something more, you know, so they're happy to stay. Some people leave because they know that there is something else that they want to do. I always use the example of um, Danae Benton was one of our Nabalungis for a while. And, yeah. um, you know, I always used to call her my sweet girl. And we had this whole backstory about like how I was actually her mother, but like I was kind of her aunt and, you know, anyway. Um, I and I remember yeah, she'd finished, you, you got to have that. She <laughs> finished her, or was about to finish her first six months. And I remember we were sitting getting a pedic pedicure, me, Danae, and James Vincent Meredith. <laughs> and she's told me, I, th I think I'm, I think I'm ready to go. And I was like, Danae, you have just gotten out of college. No, no, you need to stay in this job. You are the lead of one of the biggest music. Danae, what? And she was like, I, nothing is wrong. Nothing is bad, but I think it's time for me to do something else. And, you know, like, as as the now like Tony Emmy nominated actress that she is, I'm like, oh right, I get it. But sometimes you leave and sometimes you stay. Another like very good friend of mine who I'll I'll leave nameless, even though she knows I'm talking about her. Um, <laughs> I remember she um was was in the final callbacks. Similar story of like getting a call the moment before, 
um, from Book of Mormon for the tour that I was on. And I remember she was like, called me and was like, I can't sight read music. Can you sing these notes for me? Because I have to go in and sing Hasadiga. So I'm like, Hasadiga, you know, singing to her for her audition. Anyway, she ends up booking it. And I was like, yes, girl, we are going on the road together. And she called me like a week later. And she's like, I'm not taking it. My team told me I just shouldn't take it because she was going to be covering Nabalungi. And I was like, what? Like, you know, you're going to go on, you know, you're going to perform. And she was just like, I don't know my spirit, you know, I'm not, it's not that I'm too good to be a cover or understudy, but it's just, isn't, isn't the right thing for me. Well, the person that they did hire, who uh, is also, you know, a dear friend, um, came into the show and the woman who was playing Nabalungi uh, uh, had the, had an injury and left. So that girl got to perform Nabalungi for like months and months at a time, eventually went on to the Broadway company, did it with us in Australia as well, like had this radical career. And I always think to myself, Camille's, oops, well, that's okay. I think I can say Camille. Um, but <laughs> her, her connection with that show and her next, you know, seven years of her life radically changed because this other person said no. And sometimes like, it's really hard as an artist to say no to something feeling like, I don't know what's going to come next for me. I don't know if I'm ever going to get an offer again, but like what's meant for you will find you. And this person, the other actress, like she's fine. She's also uh, 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 Emmy, Emmy nominated actor as well, went on to do a, a TV show that uh, everyone probably in the world knows and loves and watches. So like, she's fine. And she said no to that, but actually said yes to something that was so much greater for her. And her no opened a door for someone else's hell yeah. So I, you know, I don't know. I just like, I like I think that. It's so I've important. never, I've never, I've never pieced that one together. Like you brought, you just gave me an Oprah aha moment. That was, that was an Oprah aha moment. That's, that's a, I never thought of it that way. I think that's an amazing yeah. way to look at it. And I don't think a lot of people would know that kind of story that you know that everyone else did this. So I think that's that's pretty cool because not everyone would have that story, but I like that. I like that. That's a whole different pathway that we've never really explored. So I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. I think yeah. that's really cool. Someone else's no could be someone else's yes. Yeah. And there's so, you know, there have to be so many stories like that in the world where, you know, something that was felt so right just wasn't your, your thing. And I think as like, as actors, we imagine that our careers go in this like lovely little stair step trajectory up. But sometimes there's like alleyways and hallways and extra jam sessions in the garage that you actually have to go through in order to meet the person who's actually going to be the person to connect you, connect that dot for you. And yeah. so I guess if I had to give advice to my 16 year old self or folks who are listening, I would say. Well, that's the We always have an advice section. So oh, oh good. Your oh, advice. Good. I've just found I don't ask questions. I When I started this podcast, I had a list and I did two interviews. And then after that, you asked that first general question of how'd you get started? And then the other nine questions kind of just got answered. So yeah. I just let it roll now. <laughs> oh, good. Um, I would just say like the advice is, um, well, the, my number one piece of advice always is do something else too. What the theater, this, this is your job. This cannot be your life. So read a book, learn how to scuba dive, um, uh, get into gardening. I don't know, something. But if you don't have a full robust identity as a human, you will never be able to fill out a full robust identity for your characters. So- Oh, I like that. Say that yeah. again. That's a little bit of magic. Sprinkle that fairy dust. Get in close to the mic. That was a bit of fairy dust. You're coming up with some ahas. I like that. <laughs> Um, but yeah, just, you have to, you have to, you have to be a well-rounded human. Like we build characters, we tell stories. And if we don't have any of our own, if we haven't 
lived a life that's worth the story, then we can't possibly expect to understand the idiosyncrasies of a character's story, especially when you only get two and a half hours to tell it. So do something else. Love something else is number one. Um, and, <laughs> and number two is like, don't be afraid for the direction to change. I think when I was young, I thought, this is what I'm going to do. And then I'm going to get here and then I'm going to get there and then I'm going to do that. And then I'll die or, you know, I'll retire. Like, this is <laughs> I got it. Dead. Right. <laughs> but like the best parts of my, not only career, but my life have been so far beyond the scope of my wildest dreams that if I had limited myself to that being what I was chasing, I might've missed so many rainbows. So don't be afraid. I agree with you on that. And I kind of tell my um, students that all the time. And I've had other people come on because and say that as well, because I think as actors and not everyone, some people are flying by the seat of their pants, but we have a stair step. And I think I had a stair step, right? I think I thought once I got started, and I, you know, you never imagine yourself getting started. And I, you know, I was just a small town kid and doesn't matter where you come from. And I, you know, we were kind of poor and, you know, or in middle, very, very middle class, you know, the Connors, you know, factory workers. And so, yes, I had a dream. I had a dream. And I, but there's a song there. Uh, but I don't think I ever thought my dream was obtainable. I was trying for it. I auditioned for it. But, you know, for a small town kid, you just had dreams. You know, and now I'm just having an aha moment myself. My dreams have come true. And now I'm interviewing other people that their dreams came true. And yeah. you, sometimes you, you work for, you work for those dreams. I work for them, but I never imagined my path. And then I, when I thought, once I got my first national tour and started doing tours and then was in line for regional theaters, for North Shore theater, for cats on and Germany circuit. And then. I was supposed to go back out on tour and I was like, that's it. Then, you know, I was in line for some Broadway shows. I was like, that's it. I'm always going to do the Broadway circuit and tour. And I have this goal and I don't want to do this, but I'll do this one cruise ship because I need a side contract before the next contract. And I was like, I'll just do one. And then seven and a half years later, because it changed the trajectory of my life because I was yeah. like, you know, in the shows now you do book shows, but I was kind of like, I got on there and never thought that would be where I wanted to go. And I had other offers later. I mean, I had a partner at the time, so I didn't go off and do other things. Um, but I never thought, I literally thought I was going to do a one and done cruise ship. That was, that was the plan. And go right back to yeah. tour because I love tour. I love book shows. And I was like, <laughs> I don't really want to ride on the bus again. I like going to the beach. So, I mean, right. and the shows were great. And I'm like, mm, I like being one of four boys, not one of 15. And I just, I, I never would have thought. And at that part in time, during the first part, I didn't have a partner. And so, you know, I I wasn't with anyone. I was just on my own. And I just fell in love with it. And one six month contract turned into seven and a half years. And I never wanted to leave. I never looked back and go, mm, I regret that I didn't tour. I don't. Right. I might regret some, I, I don't, only thing I regretted is I couldn't take a job, but I was already on tour with something else. But I have zero regrets in my career, even though I had a trajectory of where I thought, just like you said, but no, I was like, I enjoyed my life. And that's not the way I thought yeah. my life was going to go. Yeah. And that's exciting. Yeah. I mean, just like you, we both kind of have the same adventure. We're Indiana kids. We had an adventure. We both wound up living in Australia. And like now we're back. So, I mean, who would have thought, you know, two Indiana kids lived in Australia? That wasn't on my list, right? Definitely not on mine. Definitely that's not. Not on mine. And <laughs> I think that's great. I think you brought something else to the table. You've sprinkled a lot of fairy dust in there. And I love well, that being a human so you could be a character. 
You got to live. Find that. I like that. I like yeah. that a lot. Um, well, you know, those nuggets are for free. Well, there's are free. I mean, <laughs> you could write a book. I mean, you have, you've always had, I, did. I know you did. <laughs> um, is there, do you miss performing? Is that word? Do you want to get back on stage? I think you did something in Australia, but yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I do like I've been sort of doing one project a year back in Australia, but no, I don't miss it. Like I, I'm not done with it by any means, but I don't, I don't miss it. Like I'm very confident that eight show a week schedule is not what I want right now, especially with not with a little one, but, um, and how old is she now? Four and a half, four and a half going on 40, right? Uh, at least 14. She definitely knows everything. And um, <laughs> is more in charge of our house than anyone else. When I met her, like she was like a year ago, she was so grown up. Yeah, she's uh, she's got a lot to say. She's got a lot to say about life. That's for sure. <laughs> she's already got the nuggets from you. So she's already on it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. She wants to be a Wendy's worker or an artist or a drama school teacher. Those are the three things. A Wendy's worker, okay. It's free Frosties, all right. Can't you can't really fault that, right? Free fro <laughs> Frosties, okay. I can go for with life. That. Yeah, free right. Frosties for life, right? Why not? <laughs> um, I just think that you've just brought so much to the table today, and I just think that's like a wonderful thing. Do you? Is there anything else that you haven't planned? Do you have anything else that you haven't done or have thought about that you? want to try um not right now like i'm kind of good where i am but um you know like i said I, I i think my next move is probably outside of my own wildest dreams right now so we'll see have you wanted to produce or direct um i've done a bit of directing i've done a bit of producing uh stuff not against it just um I don't know. I don't know. That's it's kind of the nice thing about right now is that I'm like getting to do lots of things, little bits in this job and trying to figure out like, what are the things that I actually love? We had dogs that had to go out. They were good for the first couple of times. And now when I film, sometimes they just want to go out. That's just life. And I don't cut or splice because I kind of just like things were a little bit raw because that's how we are around here. We're just real. Right. So I just, it's a beautiful day here in Indiana. So, you know what? I just left the back door open. They can just go in and out. That's how we're going to run that. Right. That's just how right. we're going to do it. It's beautiful here. We've had a beautiful yeah. winter. You being an Indiana girl, we've had a couple of storms. I was up in Chicago a couple of weeks ago and it snowed on the way up there. And we've had a couple of snows, but literally it was 70 degrees last week. And it's kind of like 50s, 60s, 70s all this week. Nice, February. nice. Yeah, I got some pictures from my mom of the snow, and Lulu was very upset that it's gone now. Yeah, I mean, it was literally in and out, and there was none in Chicago. Yeah. It was around Lafayette, and that was it. Done. Yeah. Oh, <sighs> I think that when I see you again, I just can't. I'm gonna have to like either if you're here or if I have to make a. West Coast stop. I mean, I always have, we've been doing national park tours like for our birthdays and stuff. So maybe I'll make it back out there that direction. I haven't been to Seattle oh, yeah. in quite a while. It's been a minute. There's some good things out here. Yeah, there was good. I mean, we used to port out of there. That was one of my main ports when we were going back and forth to Alaska. So um, I, I, I do miss that. I love the city. And is there a big arts program in Seattle? Um, is it full of theater or is there the outside community as well? Um, there's quite a lot of theater here. There's um, quite a quite a big art scene. There's um, Seattle Rep, Fifth Avenue Theater, Seattle Theater Group, um, Intamon Theater. Um, yeah, there's, there's quite a lot of theater for a city of this size. Oh, good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm just, I'm going to keep you on here and say my farewells, but I just think that you have given us a lot of different paths that other people can take. And, you know, 
knowing that there's other job opportunities. And I think the main purpose for this podcast is, I mean, letting people know that there's other other things in the arts that you can do. You know, I mean, I've had people on that was Drew Barrymore's like, you know, main tailor that was a professional dancer and just became a tailor. And the main purpose for this podcast is no matter where you're at in your career, who you are or what you're doing, you can transition and find a new pathway in this business or even not. I'm going to have maybe a person on that was my old dance partner from England and is now an osteopath and how her dance experience helps her with, she's a doctor of osteopath, you know, mm -hmm. and decided how her career got her to where she is now and how that helps. And I think that's the main purpose, no matter where you're at in your journey, beginning and middle, that's what we're here to do is to educate and to help others know that there's other options out there besides just the stage and using your face and your body and your voice. There's other parts of us inside of us in an arts community that we can bring out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you have this and um, I hope that your listeners are enjoying getting to meet the folks in your network. I, I just love it. And I think one of the biggest things for me is reconnecting with you, reconnecting with other people um, and, you know, getting to go hear their stories. And sometimes I've forgotten their stories because it's been so long. And I, I think that's just kind of cathartic for me going back down memory lane and hearing yeah. other people's journeys. And I just thank you for being on. Um, so make sure everyone likes, share, and subscribe. This is a part two of Cecily. So if you've not seen the first part, go back to the first part and then come back down to the second part. So it's like a suspense kind of thing. Um, but thank you, my love for being on here. I just love and adore you and miss you so much. And I know I'm going to see you because now you're back in here and I know you always come back and see the family and we have right. a reunion and the reunions are always fun when we get here. So <laughs> I'm going to keep you on. I'm going to sign off here. Now I got to find the buttons. Um, but thank you so much for giving us so much knowledge. And I love it because now that you are over there longer, I finally hear your accent coming out. You switched. <laughs> you switched. And your your dialect, your tone, your, the way you talk. I get it. I, I mean, living over there and being with like an Australian for four and a half years, like, I get it. Your your whole you don't know it's happening, and and it just kind of happens. Right. I love right. it, and I love I love hearing like the change in your voice. I love that when I hear people. I had a student that came from here, went to the Royal School of Ballet of London, and was just very Indiana, and now she's lived in there. And when she talks, it's very, and I'm like, mm, you transitioned. You transitioned. it just <laughs> it happens. Um, I love you. Thank you so much for all your info and you stay on and people continue on next week um, with pathways and hopefully um, everyone is liking and sharing and subscribing. We are streaming on all platforms now um, across Amazon, Spotify, Apple podcast and YouTube subscribe to everyone and follow and suggest it to your friends. And thank you for following. All right. Good night.